just, again, more white capitalism. It, it, it can't be. We still have a, a say, and I think our state starts at the consumer level and being educated about what is really needed in the community for this to convert. Because right now, no market has gotten it right. No market has been able to steal share from the uh, illegal or the, the, the legacy market. I don't call it the black market anymore. I call it the legacy market because it exists already. There's yep. supply and demand. There's entrepreneurs already in that market. And I really want people, and I, I, I explicitly say this, this book is for every plug in every community. Yes. You need to figure out how to take your influence and uh, connectivity with such a network. Um, and, Welcome to Blue Dream Radio, the People's Cannabis Podcast, a weekly podcast giving communities of color a dose of the real deal in the cannabis industry. Learn with us, smoke with us, and join us as we bring truth to power. Welcome everyone to a new episode of Blue Dream Radio. This is season two, episode two. As always, this is your co-host, LEG, alongside Freedom Love. So this episode is extra special, as all of our episodes are. We have CEO of the Weedhead Company and well-known author of the book, How to Succeed in the Cannabis Industry, Rashida Dawson. So we said that we're going to bring on the heat this season, and so here we are. With no further ado, this is Rashida Dawson. Keep on listening. Dawson and I am the weed head and um, I'm very excited to be joining you guys here on Blue Dream. Um, yeah, I am a, a corporate to cannabis crossover. So um, even though, um, yeah, I am a cannabis user, I had a pretty traditional corporate executive uh, um experience prior to coming into the industry and when I came in there were not a lot of folks like myself so I kind of took it upon myself to uh, reinvent what weed had meant um, really talking about my rise in the in the industry as a cannabis executive and being the head of uh, cannabis operations and various um, projects so it's funny it's like it means two things at the same time but yes I am excited to be here how are you guys Awesome. We're awesome. We are good. We are happy to have you. That's, this is an amazing um, opportunity that we have to really bring information that is lacking in our in our communities. And also from someone who like openly proclaims to be uh, a weed head. head. <laughs> yes. Like up yeah. front. I feel like so many uh, heads of, of cannabis corporations and companies, like if you ask them if they smoke, the first thing, their first response, like they never respond directly or they say, no, it's not that experience is not for them. And it's like, come on, bro. Like, you know, you yeah. smoke that little weed. <laughs> They're flexing. Yeah. Um, they would rather talk about their highbrow tequila or uh, the wine or cognac or whatever it is. But that's just because right now, you know, alcohol is more acceptable. But it seems crazy to me that you decide to be a CEO or uh, a C-level executive for a cannabis company, but you are not a cannabis connoisseur. It doesn't work. It's not sustainable. And, um, yeah, I think also uh, the face of cannabis is changing. Um, one, as women 
women. Uh, we're the fastest growing uh, legal users, especially women of color. And I think um, it's important for people to uh, recognize that we're out here um, and we're consuming. We're consuming with uh, responsibility and consciously and for health and wellness reasons. But it's, it's made me a better executive. That's for sure. The, that's for sure. I mean, and, and you can't you can ask uh, uh, somebody that owns a winery, how is your wine? And they're going to say, oh, I don't know. I don't drink wine. I don't drink my wine. It's not my case. Exactly. <laughs> we wouldn't even want to try that wine, no, right? Like, <laughs> no. Exactly. All right, so we're going to get started. Um, so in an industry that is unabashedly white, there are some industry leaders who have intentionally brought people of color into the cannabis space. Tashira Dawson, author of the top-selling How to Succeed in the Cannabis Industry, now in its third edition, that's awesome, is doing just that. She's creating space for people of color to enter the cannabis industry and thereby increasing the number of people of color in the industry. Through her workbook, um, Tashira helps communities most negatively impacted by the war on drugs develop generational wealth by using their existing skills to break through the stigmas that have been hanging over our heads for decades. So sit back, roll up, and get higher with Blue Jean Radio. All right, so we're going to just jump into our kind of quote of the day. So uh, this quote is an African proverb, and it says, uh, if you want to go quickly, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So what do you think about that quote, Jacina? It's definitely one of my favorites when I read it. It's so uh, indicative of just my life. Um, I am the second of four uh, sisters, four girls. Um, we were raised by the tribe, I say, because my mother was the youngest of her siblings and the, but yet the first to have kids. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm not used to not being part of a team. Mm -hmm. um, even if I'm the leader, my mom called me the general. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she didn't call me that since I was 15 years old, but um, that is very much my personality. But how are you a general if you don't have a team that you are mm -hmm. actually uh, leading? Um, so no, and you can uh, that, trust, so uh, a team that you can trust, you know. Yes, yes, a team that you can trust. So it definitely speaks a lot to me. I'm in the industry, the cannabis industry, with my sisters, and that gives me a leg up and on, um, you know, the rest of the community because that is the biggest challenge. People entering, and then you have to go into business deals and or partnerships where some folks don't hold up their end of the bargain. And if nothing else, you know, I'm not going to say my sisters and I are perfect, but at least we can guilt each other into doing the right thing. <laughs> Shout out to Imani. Shout out to her. She's a she's a pioneer, a trailblazer as well. Shout out to yes, her. Yes, yes, yes. Um, my sisters are Imani Dawson is my older sister. Uh, she is a media marketing strategist herself. Uh, a twenty plus year career um, in communications and um, pretty freaking awesome and then uh ice dawson is the baby she's our cannabis socialite but she's the associate brand manager for my company she basically is ensuring that it runs every day in the way it's supposed to um she focuses primarily on our digital strategy and our events um and then we have a third sister that people don't see as much because she lives in georgia but we're here with her in atlanta actually as we're gearing up for our atlanta stop on the book tour but she's our merchandising um queen she's uh run a number of different types of stores and whenever we have shown up and showed out like at national cannabis festival we had a huge lounge that we created um she makes sure that we look the part um from 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 the top to the bottom so That's we're right, using right. everybody's skills and That's it right. is 
goals uh, right there. That much more amplified. Yeah. yeah so we're going too. a lot farther because we're together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we. I, I just uh, applied for for one of the one of the sessions for the National Cannabis um, Fest. Uh, so I hope I get it. Uh, so we're going to be talking about Latinos in the cannabis industry. That's our focus on our panel. Um, so awesome. we hope we get that. Um, so, yeah, that's that's amazing work that you guys are and doing. also, hats off to your mom for literally, like, raising yes. a tribe of, of, of women who really just, together, you guys figured it out. I mean, we like, day-to-day operations in a home, we've all figured it out as a family. Why not just introduce that into the cannabis industry? You guys work like a well-oiled machine. Why not, right? And and that's the some of the skills that people don't see that they have. Like running a home is a skill. So if yes. you can run a home, you can run a cannabis in a, a cannabis company. So you can. Yeah. So tell us, how long have you been in the industry, and how did you get involved in the cannabis um, in the cannabis world? Uh, yeah, so we are uh, seniors in the industry going into year four. Uh, we, this is our fourth year. Uh, Congratulations. It feels like dog years. I mean, uh, it does feel, thank you, really long. But basically, um, we jumped into the industry uh, as a result of the unexpected passing of our mom. Mm-hmm. I was the first to make this move, and I think it was a shocker because I had, uh, you know, I'm at that uh, nearly a VP level, just about to get that promotion. You know, you're working for it for these big corporate companies. But her uh, passing was really um, something that jolted me out of sort of the uh, matrix, if you will. I, you know, I got to a point, especially as a black girl from Brooklyn, where you're making money you've never even seen before. Mm-hmm. And no one in your family seen it before. And it's enough to kind of keep the tribe sustained. But it still was a fraction compared to what I was making for these big companies. I mean, my work at Target, I maybe made for them an incremental half a billion dollars in sales but wow. I wasn't I didn't even have a one percent of that one percent would be great it's just a, just a <laughs> freaking couple million dollars but I didn't even have one one percent of that in my salary or bonus and you know I didn't care at the time I cared about just making it to director and making it to the next level um, and it was just enough to be sustainable so that was the first thing that happened was like I didn't really feel satisfied um, after my mom passed I moved out to Arizona Arizona. So this next thing really was uh, the universe working um, in our favor. But I moved out to Arizona because my mom's uh, sister, uh, Aunt Latifah, uh, she's in our uh, pictures as well. She was already living out there 20 plus years. And she was actually already a medical marijuana patient. And so uh, she's the first in our family, OG in that way to kind of join the industry. And so she introduced me to the medical market. I was suffering from my own autoimmune issues and, you know, flare-ups and uh, also depression, losing my mom unexpectedly and um, being from Brooklyn, post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, the list goes on of what cannabis could help with. And she was basically like, you need to get your card. And I did. And... Yeah, from that point on, I looked at the industry in a very different way. My scientific hat came on quickly, but first and foremost, because I just come out of uh, really the consumer marketing and retail strategy world, that hat was the first thing that uh, came on, and I 
you know, as I went into a dispensary and I just saw, hey, I could actually help folks here. This dispensary could use my help or this brand could use my help. And so immediately formed uh, MJM Strategy, which was a strategy and management consulting firm um, specifically for uh, the hemp and marijuana industry. Because I had a science background, I knew that hemp was cannabis and uh, was also going to start to transform the markets. And ICE was my first employee. And um, before I knew it, uh, Imani and the rest of the team uh, had joined. And um, But it really was born out of the catastrophic uh, unexpected passing of my mom. Sometimes life does that to you. It yeah. makes you have to reevaluate things. And I, so I don't like to tell people, oh, I just always knew because I didn't. I was using cannabis in the closet, though. Um, my mom, during her time with chemo, she needed cannabis and she was always a user. And during that time at Target, it was me adjusting to negative 25 degree weather and the stress of being executive. Yeah. I felt terrible on the inside and my autoimmune issues were, you know, really flaring up. So eventually she convinced me I should try cannabis as well. And I smoked a joint with her. Um, it probably was our first joint cool. we smoked together. <laughs> And I felt so much better. I talk about that in my book, but I felt so much better. And she was right. And from that point on, I was a closeted cannabis user. There are a lot of us corporate uh, folks that, you you know, so many people are using and they're in the closet. They'd rather talk about, like you said, the, uh, the wine or the alcohol they're using. And so, you know, I never told anyone. But I still did a phenomenal job. I never, uh, in fact, I was very successful at Target. And I have to say that probably had a lot to do with being less stressed than most of the other managers and senior managers. I just, I I came in and I was able to perform. I wasn't in pain. Um, and so I think, I'm thankful for my cannabis experience, but I was ashamed of it too. I didn't want anyone to know. And it wasn't until uh, my mom passed that I kind of was like, I don't care if anybody knows. This is what makes me, uh, me, the me that everybody seems to love and to praise and to give awards to. So you need to know that I use cannabis all day. For sure. Um, and yes. <laughs> and it, it's, part of, it's part of who I am. It's like a weight that's left off your shoulders when you tell people that, you know, I am a cannabis user because uh, a lot of people just want to see uh, the, the, the money-making side of it, but they don't want to really experience what the planet really can do for the body. And that's how they view our community. It's just commodity. How can we just make money um, off of this planet and not even try to see what the plant really does to our body. Even though we have the endocannabinoid system, and we talk about it a lot in our, in our podcast, uh, that we need to know the system that we carry uh, ourselves, you know, and we don't even... Biologically. Yeah, we don't even uh, uh, try to get that information from, from the people that are selling us, the, selling us the, the product. And I think the other piece that you brought up that's, I think, like, really important is... You know, this the taboo, right? You can't be, you can't, you can't use cannabis and also, or you can't use a plant and also be successful. It's yes. this taboo of, oh no, if you use that plant, you're gonna be super lethargic, super slow. You have terrible memory. This is your, this is your brain on. On drugs, yeah. So I think it's pretty amazing. You could say, you know, in comparison to my my colleagues. Um, working in this corporate job, I was actually pretty damn successful because I was able to move past all the minutiae. I used this plant. It worked for me. 
hey, I do what I gotta do, you know? Shout out to all the cannabis patients out there. I'm one of them. You know, I'm a cannabis patient myself here in Connecticut, so shout out to everybody. Awesome. Shout out to my to my dispensary, you know, Compassion and Care. They always keep a stash, you know, fresh for me. So shout That's out awesome to them. too. <laughs> yeah, shout um, out to them. So um so tell us, you know, we're gonna get into the nitty gritty now of the of the conversation. So so tell us what challenges have you encountered in the industry, especially as a black woman? Ooh, I mean, you know that is a loaded question. Yeah. It is like, um, the first is that the stereotypes. So, for example, you know, when you have a career like mine and um, I was an athlete, played basketball, then Ivy League, you really spend a lot of energy trying to preserve or uh, maintain that, you know, positive reputation. And um, cannabis or weed or marijuana, ganja, whatever we call it, um, it has been able to uh, destroy a lot of people. I mean, you just think of how many folks, um, whether they're sports athletes or uh, entertainers, and the one thing you hear on the news is like, and they had marijuana on them, and everybody's like in a gasp. And yeah. you know, I, that was my first thing I had to overcome, and it was with myself and my own communities. I am a lovely lady of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, and um, that is a uh, historically black sorority. Um, I love my pink and green, but when I initially came out the closet as the weed head, started uh, you know blogging and posting about it, I can't say that my sorors were necessarily not my close sores, but they were definitely very supportive, but globally the sorority hasn't supported this, even though there are so many women of color who have lupus and MS and mm. Crohn's disease that this is the best medicine, so many members of the organization, so it was me first getting over the fact that I knew my own community was going to be like, girl you didn't go to Princeton to sell weed Word. that was a comment <laughs> I was getting regularly you know, mm -hmm. um but then once I started really getting the success within the industry, my biggest challenge was that I was the only one. It was getting very depressing and difficult for me to work with my mostly white males of mm. every age. They were getting it. It, it wasn't just young white men or uh, I'm now retired and I don't care what people think white men. It was every age. Um, and it was becoming more and more corporate, private equity. And meanwhile, I'd come back home to Brooklyn and, you know, you know, my homeboy's still worried about smelling like it on the train because if they walk past the police officer or the dogs, it's going to, you know, trigger a moment. Disturbing. That was real, and it was really disconcerting for me. I still felt like a prisoner, and I needed the medicine. Like, yeah. I can't carry it on a plane, and I can't, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get it in, you know, various uh, markets that aren't developed yet. Yeah. So my biggest challenge was, as a black woman, I'm already um, targeted uh, yeah. and, you know, more likely to be harassed around this. And um, being a patient meant that I had to give up some of my rights to yeah. have the right medicine. I walk around like we're in Georgia right now. I'm in so much pain. It's raining. I have, thankfully, a CBD, which once the Farm Act passed, it allowed for me to carry that. But um, let's be honest. I've been detained in a state that has, uh, a, you know, CBD regulations and um, only because it smelled like it was, you know, weed around. And yeah. I'm like, nope, that's just the terpenes. So it's uneducated folks, ignorance, along with our historical racial biases that I've been up against since entering the industry. Um, 
and it's internal in that we are doing it to each other. You got a lot of side eyes, like, mm, girl, you, she look at her talking about this, and oh, she she's thrown away her career. Um, that's all changing, thankfully, now that we got presidential candidates talking about it, but mm-hmm. I think it was the internal uh, disgust around that change, and then the external group so quick to criminalize me and people that look like me, um, even though I'm actually following the law um, in every place I go. I make a point to make my team know what the law is in every market that we go to try to avoid it, but sometimes it does not matter. Yeah, for sure. And one of the things that you mentioned that that, that I would like to bring back is how they use... Um, the the plant to incriminate us. Like every time, like like um, what's the guy from Dallas that got shot by the police officer, um, Bunton John, when he got he got shot up in his apartment. They found a little weed and then they blasted that all over the news. Like that was the the reason why he got shot because he had a little weed not and not someone because someone went into his house and and broke in and and shot that that man dead in his own home. Um, and that's something that, that we experience every day. Like all, all the every time they talk about that, uh, we can't pass uh, 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 equitable um, uh, legislation around cannabis. It's because we cannot detect people smoking. Um, how are we gonna uh, get the police involved, and how are we gonna be able to create methods to detect cannabis? Who the, who you think is they gonna target with those laws? You know, it's not. They, I'm gonna. I'm the one that that that's gonna get stopped. I always say this story, and I tell people, I went to, uh, I was trying to do this podcast in another stu- in a studio in Brooklyn, and they called their wee man, and when everybody, when, when the wee man came, it was this white girl that looks like she was doing yoga with a, with a moped, and she got like a little bag and, and her yoga gear. So, you think she's going to get stopped for selling weed, or somebody that looked like me is going to stop, get stopped for selling weed? You know. Or just having it. You, you, you understand what I mean? Like, she's selling it and getting by. You just have because you're a consumer. Most of our arrests have been for consumption levels, not a cartel level. People tell a whole different story. Yep, yep. You're absolutely correct, yeah. And I think, you know, the, the other piece about, you know, I feel like you speak so specifically to, to so many just people, women of color in particular in the industry where you walk into this space and Freedom talks about him, about it as, as a black man walking into, into this space, um, into even like a conference, looking for other people of color um, and uh, that each, like when we find each other, it's like, oh, finally there's another person of color in a room in a conference of thousands of people. You're meant to feel alone. You're meant to feel like there's so little of you um, and then, of course, the typical, like the, the Olivia Pope, you got to work twice as hard uh, to be considered half of what they are, right? So it's like you have to work extra hard. And on top of that, I think it's amazing that you're, you, you have all this kind of in the, in the forefront of your mind. And at the same time, saying, you know what, F it. You know what, I, am, I like weed. That's, that's just, I use it for medicinal purposes. I use it for my own, pe- I use it for all these things. I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be a user and let you know that I'm going to use, I'm, I'm a user. Uh, but I can still get my work done. I can still put out amazing product. I can still do amazing work, which often is not the the narrative at all. And and you work on your own truth. It sounds cliche, but you work on your own truth, on your own power, and you don't care 
I mean, that's that's something that I'm that I strive to be. It's just being in the space and and just being me. And and it's hard in some places because they look at you weird uh, because you smoke. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and then that way, that's why I'm glad I come with a village or a tribe because when I didn't, uh, true story, one of the worst situations that happened to me was out in Arizona. Um, and the thing that I love about it is that I'm kind of, I get the last laugh because I've been successful since that point, but they thought they were going to run me out of the state. I was getting a lot of, uh, uh, quick, uh, uh, acknowledgement and success around supporting certain initiatives in Arizona. And because I'm a you know, trained executive and a scientist, it was easy. It was like taking candy from a baby because a lot of people just don't respect the plant and they're coming in thinking that they can do whatever because the consumer just wants to get high. Yeah. And so, therefore, they don't have a conscious uh, understanding of what they're buying. I know from my experience selling to America as a senior executive at Target that consumer behavior that drives everything. And so, getting to that led me to success. And very quickly, uh, a very white industry felt that they were unclear about whether or not I am who I say I am. Um, and I, a whole campaign was really... Uh, brought about against me to accuse me of stealing my own identity That's and it was, uh, it was actually being spread in earnest because guess what it's believable i'm this black yeah. girl wears purple wigs i talk how i talk <laughs> but she's got a degree from princeton she's got molecular advisor like that doesn't sound you know real and the reality is it is and i thank god for the internet and it, me being me for my whole lifetime, but the more that I brought my tribe in, the you know, more I realized that I should have done that from the beginning. So I ran from the situation so I wouldn't get to Brooklyn and Arizona because that's never good. But <laughs> I came back to the East Coast and I got my tribe fully behind me, um, and, and and you know, have since obviously gone back west because I, I I needed to be like, no, this is who I am. I've been this way forever, and if you want to really see who my identity is, I've been on the internet since 96 um, as a basketball player and then as an AKA and then as a, you know, an executive and I look the same. So why am I running away from a rumor that doesn't, um, is it true? But um, yeah, that's the type of stuff they can do when you come by yourself. I think coming as a, a group and a tribe and a community has certainly been important. And so Minorities for Medical Marijuana has been that tribe. Mm. I met Roz McCarthy very early in my um in my journey she became a mentor over that situation she helped coach me through that transition it was in my first year and in the first couple months and it was still her first year but she yeah. was in florida and she was getting a different experience and she was like girl i'm doing this this and this come down to florida real quick and you know help me with that and immediately made such an impact in that market that i realized that it's not just about one market and it's certainly in about the arizona market i mean <laughs> i can learn from it but that's a small market compared to new york right yeah, yeah. so you know, it, that community really saved me because I was ready to go back to corporate America. I was like, I'm not like I'm not trying to play with these folks. I got, you know, six figures under my belt for my, you know, my uh, salary. I got all these degrees. Why am I dealing with these folks? And I realized that that is probably what has happened to a lot of people of color. And um, and I and I, it forced me to stand up and just like you said, be my authentic self. And some days require Princeton and some days require Brooklyn. Brooklyn. <laughs> Which one's gonna show up? For sure, for sure. So uh, you keep talking that you play basketball. So what position you play? Freedom is also a basketball player. So oh, okay, okay, okay. So we're talking about this. I'm a point guard. I was an okay. all point guard in New York. 
Um, I was the All City the year that Lamar Odom was the Player of the Year. Okay. Um, yeah, I played at Princeton only my freshman year. I think it was a little too too much. A D1 ball is very intense, so I'm kind of glad. I really wanted to go to Stanford, but my mom was not hearing me leaving the tri-state area. I was only uh, 17, so she yeah, was yeah. like, nah. You're not but, leaving. Yeah. <laughs> That's dope. Uh, I played point guard, too, so, you know, I, I played for, for two years at Boston U. I went over there yeah. to school over there, so... You know, wow. I, yeah, yeah. So yes. I, we could talk ball. I mean, honestly, <laughs> we were just talking earlier about um, this. My son's now 16, and he's, you know, uh, more of a baseball player than basketball. And I like that because the baseball allows their players to use cannabinoids yeah, for yeah. Uh, restoring their body. I have I so many ailments because I ball so hard. I'm now 40, and I feel 80 aside <laughs> because of what I did during that time period. Okay. That's, that's, that's dope. I mean, how, how do you feel about athletes using um, cannabis as a way to cope with, you know, in, with, with injuries, with pain? How do you view that? I am a huge proponent. I'm actually uh, part of the reason why I don't watch the NFL is because mm-hmm. they know from their studies. It's a lot of other reasons, too, but I, I really gave it up when I came into the cannabis industry because they know that the, 100% of the NFL players have injury, 100%, they, whether you got a, uh, a sprained ankle or yeah. you got a major one. And they're not doing anything, even with CTE, to allow for the players to use cannabinoids. And that, to me, is messed up. Um, I am really good friends with Marvin Washington, and you know he's been a big advocate for a long time. And but he's retired, and I think uh, to see what uh, some some things are happening to your body, and you're not able to use the best medicine. I feel like we have a lot of health justice, and athletes, mm-hmm. veterans, the disabled, elderly, um, uh, women of color, all of these are high risk groups that a cannabinoid treatment can uh, be a much more effective treatment on a number of things that are now being, uh, you know, pushed, you know, opioids and pharmaceuticals. Yeah. All of those groups are high risk for uh, addiction, and so I think it's a it's a it's a disservice to our boys um, for some of these professional sports, um, and I'm not going to support it. I speak out about it all the time. I'm actually a big proponent of. Doctors for Cannabis Regulation, which is an organization where there are partnering with sports teams and doctors because that is one of the areas, pain management is one of the areas that we could be saving a lot of lives. Mm, for um, sure. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, they just suspended indefinitely Josh Gordon for using cannabis um, from the Patriots. Uh, wow. So he can't play football anymore for using cannabis. That's, that's super crazy. It's, it's, it's hypocritical, and yeah. it it's also shows they don't have a good understanding of what the science is behind it, and that's why I am such a big advocate to say I use cannabis, because just before, um, you know, people start to judge you, they start to hear what you're saying, and like, she's able to keep her brain straight and talking in this way, and she's still using cannabis, so a lot of the <laughs> assumption that they're not going to play well, or they're not, I wish I had cannabis when I was playing i'd be more relaxed a lot of the nerves that go into big games and performance anxiety the game slows down when you when you in in the clouds like you slow down you dribble slow even though you're dribbling a little faster but you dribble slow you see everything's like better you see the flow your floor better i like i'm playing when i'm high 
So I think that's. I, <laughs> I, that's I love the requirement doing. now for you to be like real talk. I gotta get lit, get fit. I smoke before <laughs> I work out and after. I love uh, consuming when I'm about to dance, especially. So I was a dancer as well, okay. and that to me is the necessity. I can't um, do what I'm doing, whether it's choreographed work or me freestyling. My body will not move unless I have some cannabinoids or terpenes, and it's it's a combination of what the plant can do. So I don't want to make it like. I gotta have the 36% THC. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, my favorites are usually high CBD strains right before I'm about to really perform. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, no, I, I could talk about that all day, but Me yes, too. I'm a proponent of using it when you work out, and we're gonna see increase as a trend. I believe that for consumer products and consumer marketing, yes, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So, uh, you are an author. You are an author of um, a workbook that's going into, or now in its third edition. Can you talk to us a little bit about how to succeed in the cannabis industry? And yeah, why a workbook? <coughs> yeah, so as you can probably already tell, I have a very strong opinion about a lot of things related to cannabis because I, like I said, I'm a patient first, but I'm also a black woman that's advocating in a space that doesn't have a lot of education, whether it's my own community or the political community. Uh, we got a lot of lawmakers making laws and they have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. It's all based on what the propaganda has been. And then last but not least, being a business strategist, one of the things that I got, uh, you know, most of my success from is really white space analysis, being able to take numbers and figure out what the best forecast and plan should be um, to navigate in the future. Um, and so I've combined all three of those perspectives into a book around um, succeeding in the cannabis space. And um, I really take you from the rooter to the tutor, as my grandma would say. Most of us are very limited in our thinking of cannabis. We believe that it is just growing and selling because that's what we really receive in the illegal market or the legacy markets. But it's so much more as this becomes a real industry. And it really is grounded in real science. So my book is um, takes the fact that I'm a molecular biologist and I understand cannabinoids, which are molecules, mm -hmm. very well, and I break them down and I break down the science of cannabis it's weaved throughout the book is certainly not meant to be overwhelming like you're in uh you know some sort of real you know uh college level it's meant to be broken down so everyone can understand it um i made it a workbook because i'm a homeschooling mom i think that also people think you're going to get told a whole bunch of stuff it's going to inspire you and that's going to be enough for you to be a better uh, entrepreneur in the industry or a better consumer. It's not. You got to actually do the work. It took me a while to find a cannabinoid regimen that worked for me. Everybody's body is different and even though I could take your advice and that could get me started in the right direction, ultimately I had to start paying attention to how much I was consuming in mm -hmm. order for me to know what was working. So even to be a consumer requires work. A conscious consumer requires work. To be an investor, an entrepreneur, or a professional, it is hands down without question requiring work. No one is going to be successful in the industry without that. So once I realized that, I was like, we have to make it a workbook. I want people to be able to digest this, but then put pen to paper and create 
real plans for themselves. So it's real science with real business strategies that people can put in place for themselves. And because I'm from Brooklyn, I'm always giving real talk. So it's a combination of all of those three things. And I think it's um, ideal for especially our community because I wanted to make it a low cost way for people to really know there's so many hype men out here from some of the celebrities um, to even the, the local advocates, the, 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 the people who are your everyday, I'm, you know, um, regional influencers some of them are perpetuating bro science or street science it's just because it sounds good and we're all kind of you know you're feeding into it. i wanted to dispel those things um and that's what the book does that's great that's great yeah and and i love the fact that it's, it's a workbook just like you said it's like you know i can read a book and be inspired and then it's like that now what this is like you said it it, it takes you through the, the entire process so if you finish if you start the book and you finish it, you'll know what you're going to do. And it's not like you're uh, pushing folks towards one part of the industry. Um, I think in, in what I've read, it's you're looking at where people are and you're meeting them where they're at. And that's what the, this book does. It's meet them where, where folks are at, where their resources are, where their skills are, and figuring out what where that fits in the space. Instead of, you know, you trying to fit the space, it's you you are perfect the way you are. Let's figure it out. There's a, there's a niche for you in the industry. Yeah, I mean, and for me, I'm 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 an organizer. You know, I'm I come from a background of of community organizing and union organizing, organizing workers around an issue. So to me, this workbook uh, brings brings me back to that: is how can you like not just educate the person because there's three pillars um, in in the organizing words: educate, agitate, and organize. So you you can you can uh, educate the person, then you can agitate them around the issue. But if you don't show them a, a way to uh, solve the issue, um, that is just education is not going to solve it. So you creating this workbook just you know reminds me of that. It's creating something that people can have in their hands um, and create real solutions uh, to problems in their communities. Uh, because a lot of our communities don't see themselves as entrepreneurs, and and they have the skills like we said before. They have the skills. They just don't know how to tap into it. And I think your workbook uh, will help out with that. And and talking about advocacy. Does it talk a little bit about creating some type of narrative around um, equity and and creating and creating generational wealth um, for communities of color? Your workbook. Yeah, sure. No, thank you guys so much again for this platform and ability to share with your audience. I am a proponent of, like you said, um, that uh, cooperative economics. I'm a, um, raised by the tribe, I, um, and I, so I kind of feel like I'm going to die by the tribe, but I believe that it's important for us to figure out how we're all kind of getting in. And that means showing people that there's more than one door to enter this industry. A lot of people, like I said, are all trying to go through the one door and they're getting very upset and surprised when they realize that door has been shut in some markets way long ago by uh, mostly white male money. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't mean that you cannot capitalize. And in fact, there might be an, a better alternative. This, the other issue that I found is that when we are trying to impact the laws, we're, again, impacting people, lawmakers, who do not have a strong understanding of cannabis or, <coughs> excuse me, they're perpetuating bro science or street science as well. So I am a big proponent of utilizing the book and the, and the different things that we've highlighted in the book to help re-educate your lawmakers or to use it as a tool when you are lobbying or being an advocate yourself. Um, but above all, I do feel, 
feel like we have a chance to get into the industry, leveraging our skill set as communities and recognizing the power that we have as consumers. Mm -hmm. And in order to demand a better market, you have to know what's even a possibility. And so the book is really meant to break down all of the possibilities because I do not like to your point earlier, I'm not trying to box anybody in and say, oh, you have to do a dispensary because a lot of times people feel that way in order for them to think about the industry. And I want to break that all open and say, actually, that's probably going to be the least profitable in the long Mm -hmm. run because at some point Walmart which, by the way, Arkansas has a medical uh, market, and Walmart will learn how to, you know, cultivate. Cultivation can be really specified, like a, a craft beer or sort of a very specialized, or it's going to be very vast. Yeah. And either way, it's you know, it's hard for people to get in that way. What's going to happen is the places that help support the industry getting bigger faster is where the money is going to be made. And in truth, that's where I made my money. Um, So I want to encourage people to see the possibilities of ways that their current professional experience, or in some cases, your passion, like sometimes it's your side hustle now, how it can apply um, to uh, the cannabis space. And that's why I break down the book in that way. I think for our communities, black and brown communities specifically, uh, disadvantaged communities specifically that are being left out, it, it's almost like a beacon of hope in some ways that this industry isn't going to be all for just, again, more white capitalism. It, it, it can't be. We still have a, a say, and I think our say starts at the consumer level and being educated about what is really needed in the community for this to convert. Because right now, no market has gotten it right no market has been able to steal share from the uh, illegal or the, the the legacy market. I don't call it the black market anymore. I call it the legacy market because it exists already. There's yeah. supply and demand. There's entrepreneurs already in that market. And I really want people, and I, I, I explicitly say this, this book is for every plug in every community. Mm-hmm. You need to figure out how to take your influence and uh, connectivity with such a network um, and transition it to a legal uh, state and you uh, not state as in united states but a legal uh entity and you can and it doesn't have to be immediate um of course it helps if we make the laws so that we're not putting those people in jail and we're not messing them up on the path of that it would be better if the government put in place something that allowed a pathway an amnesty pathway to say hey i have a business and i you know this is something that i know that i can you know i'm interested in making into a legal entity and i think the first state that figures out how to create that will be the one that has the best market for uh, everyone big companies and 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 the small all small businesses as well that's right and to your point how many businesses should um, would have been open if if a lot of our peers had have been put in jail for selling that plant because a lot of people were entrepreneurs before they went to jail and they, now that they're out of jail or they're still in jail don't have a pathway to to make money in the same industry that they were put in jail for because there's so many entrepreneurs in jail that they were making money they were doing the juicing they were doing the terpenes they were doing all the entrepreneurship that now is 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 big news but back then they were still doing it um, and you know now we going back uh, to doing the things that that people were doing back in the day, so that's like something crazy to me that this is happening. So, what is the best? What What do you consider is the best part of your book? 
Wow. Okay. So I get real excited about that question because it's hard to pick out. Well, one, the book is in the third edition. So what makes it different from the first two is that I added a whole chapter just on hemp and CBD opportunities. Um, I thought after the farm bill passed, it's so important for us as a group to understand, even if you live in a state that is not showing any respect for marijuana, legally in all 50 states, there's got to be some sort of um, hemp capabilities. And being that hemp and marijuana are both cannabis, there's a lot to be uh, done on the hemp side that is also done on the marijuana side. It can be your step in if that's something you're interested in. So I'm really excited about that. Um, I also am a nerd. I'm a science girl. So I get hype off of the processing and manufacturing section because I came from running the beauty business for Victoria's Secret. I was a director over there. And a lot of the extraction methodologies that we do in beauty that's exactly what the science is as far as extraction methodologies for cannabis. Wow. And it's so important for us to understand that when you are taking it from the plant and it's no longer in its raw state for the most part, which by the way, trimming is technically processing the plant too. But when you're like taking mm -hmm. it really into like more concentrated forms, oils, tinctures, manufactured goods and products, now you're really going into consumer package area that you want to make sure you're competing with what the consumers normal experiences while i love you know trying and you know somebody's brownies or cupcakes or whatever they made by and large i still get my baked goods from a like a retailer that sells manufactured goods so that i know every time i buy it it's going to be the same experience every time For that's sure. what needs to happen more in the cannabis space and i believe that there's a lot of small businesses um especially around black and brown folks where you know we're seeing that increase already more shops more um more ways that people want to you know just be entrepreneurs actually black women are right now like leading in small business entrepreneurship in the country well if you're going to do that in cannabis, I want people to really know the real science behind doing it. Know that these techniques are not just for cannabis. They're real techniques that are being done in, you know, the big beauty and the big CPG companies. And when they finally make this legal, Unilever, J&J, &J, the big companies will now start trying to figure out how to infuse cannabinoids into their products. I mean, Estee Lauder is already doing that with CBD and Origins. So at least be at the minimum expectation level for what your category expects. That means taking trips to the supermarket and looking at your category you want to be in, whether it's a, a edible category or a topical category. Look at the packaging and look at what it's telling the consumer. Those are the places that I love people to like start the process with cannabis. So I'm excited about that chapter as well because I really break down and use my experience from those previous retailers to tell people what's the best practice so that if they're going to do it, even if you're in a small business way, we now have a lot more accessible and white labeling. And you, these are the minimum things you need to, to try to go for to be successful in the long run. Yeah, for sure. And I think what it's, it's smart. It's, like I am personally, a, I'm a baker, um, and I've dabbled in, in making CBD and, and THC infused baked goods, um, and it's something that's always been in the back of my mind of like, okay, so what, like if I'm shoving, if I'm uh, sending something out to some of my friends, it's one thing if I send it like in a Ziploc bag, 
Um, another thing is like, am I gonna sell something out of a Ziploc bag? Good. Absolutely not. It's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> so how how best can I like the presentation is so important too. It's one thing yeah. to look, you know, what is it? Yummy, delicious, right? Uh, or ugly, delicious. It could look ugly but be delicious. Another thing is it's not consistent. The flavors are not consistent, and it just doesn't look appetizing. Um, but you know, because it's it's from it's homemade, it's okay. And it's like, no, if you're gonna no. be serious about this, think about what competitors are gonna look like. Think about what other what 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 brand what what do you want your people to think about every single time, uh, to dream about when they're thinking about your your food, your brand. What is it exactly? So, totally, we're we're with you on that. Okay. Um, I was reading something about you have a a, a wealth challenge. Uh, what is it? A cannabis wealth challenge. Yes. Um, could you talk to our listeners a little bit about that and how can they participate in it? Yeah, so um, as part of promoting uh, my books and courses, I launched the 2020 Cannabis Wealth Challenge. And essentially what I realized, because I'm a math person, um, when I first uh, wrote the book, I started to see how it was transforming lives so quickly. And not in, oh, I'm becoming a millionaire transformation. I'm a very realist uh, realistic businesswoman, a very pragmatic, and um, what? I, but but it was still six-figure transformations and being able to set up businesses. So um, I started to do the math, and I realized that if I was able to help a thousand entrepreneurs earn their first a hundred k in revenue in the industry, that I was helping to generate a hundred million dollars in. Mm-hmm wealth and revenue in the cannabis space so i mean that's how much how quickly uh collective economics can Mm -hmm. build Mm -hmm. and so um yeah i basically uh feel like my book and my course uh which is a three-week course that's typically a hundred dollars i'm offering that for free to a thousand entrepreneurs um uh, in order for me to help them get to their first 100k and so uh folks can go to uh theweedhead.com backslash cannabis dash wealth dash challenge um, and you can google it and it will come up as well and it's an easy submission I'm hoping folks would tell me their cannabis story and I've assembled a group of some of the top cannabis uh, entrepreneurs and influencers and advocates in the space I call them my cannafam um, mm-hmm. to help me select uh, who the thousand would be but once you're selected um, it's going to be uh, a rolling uh, selection so we started it on January 1st we already got a lot of submissions our first 100 winners will be announced on March 1st so we're really encouraging people to put that in and if you're announced as a winner on March 1st you can then register for any of the courses uh, that start anywhere after March 1st so I believe the March course will be the first one and then but we have a new cohort of you know people starting every month because it's just a three-week course um, the course is pretty again thorough I'm not trying to waste nobody's time or money and if for anything sure. a target I learned about everyday low pricing. So normally it's $100 and it's three classes. The first class is named after my book, How to Succeed in the Cannabis Industry, because we do have, um, you know, you have a churn and attrition. People jump, you know, they may pay $100 and they wind up not coming to class two or class three. So class one is that overview and really is we deepen, you know, deep into the book. Um, We're taking that walk along. And if you don't do any other classes, you will still be in solid shape. But the other two really deep dive into the two things that I think are going to be really pivotal and are and explain my own success in the industry. The second class is called The Real Science of Cannabis. I take a deeper dive into the chapters that are very focused on the science behind 
uh, some of these business ideas and the medicine. Um, and then the third class for, is only going to be available uh, in this bundle for a limited time until uh, September of this year. But it's about hemp and CBD uh, specifically. I take a dive into that because there's so many markets. Like I'm in Georgia. This market, you know, I, I could talk about marijuana all day. That is not what they need to hear here. People need to understand how to get into the cannabis industry using uh, the hemp avenue. And so that, that class focuses on, focuses on that. So that's what's all in the bundle is for free. I'm hoping a thousand people will be able to take advantage. And this well challenge will be going on for the whole year. So the first 100 winners are announced on March 1st. And you can go to that website again, theweedhead.com backslash cannabis dash wealth dash challenge in order to submit um, for uh, consideration. All right. So, listeners, if you are interested, please reach out to us, DM us. We definitely will send you the information. Send us a message in whatever outlet you can find us. You know where, where you can find us. And we hope that we get a lot of people sign up to, to this um, great opportunity. For sure, yeah. Yes. I mean, talk about, like, really being about it, right? Like, walking the talk, talking the talk, talking the walk, how, how Robert said it's, you know, it's generational wealth, right? So how else, how do you build? How do you, like, move away from that, like, crab complex where people think that people of color are like crabs in a barrel trying to pull each other down? This is, no, no, no. I'm up here. I need to bring everyone else up up to my level, too. So how do I how do I keep bringing people and teaching them, in fact, to bring others along the, along the way with them? So I think that's pretty amazing, too, and I, I really appreciate that. So I do have a question. Um, how... What is collective economics? Can you explain that to our listeners? Because you mentioned that a few times, and we want to make sure that we give them all the information they can um, out of you. Uh, so, what is that? Uh, yeah, so I, uh, you know, if you celebrate Kwanzaa, um, you know that there's one of the days um, that is um, actually it's collective responsibility and cooperative economics. Like sometimes I uh, fuse them together, but basically it's the pillar of that, and that's probably the first time I learned it. But to be honest, I watched it in action when I would watch my grandmother, my aunts, and my mom put together their funds or their skill set to get something done that we couldn't afford whether it's my piano lessons or dance lessons. So I, earn, I we do it in life regularly um, when you are trying to use your funds um, in uh, cooperation with someone else's to be able to get more for the group in general. Um, I think we can be more strategic in that oftentimes I can start a business and I will have a certain amount of services required. How do I then figure out someone within my uh, community that could provide those services so that as I'm making money, I'm also helping them generate money. I did it naturally with my sisters uh, because again, I came from that environment, but it to me is an ecosystem that actually exists in the business world pretty regularly. White boys are doing it all the time, right? Like yeah. All the time. We just, they're doing it with millions of dollars and, you know, oftentimes we can't get past the you know fact that sometimes we're only doing it for a hundred or a thousand. Yeah. But that's still the principle. Um, it's called dovetailing in some of the bigger companies um, in the cannabis space. Most of these big old cannabis companies are conglomerate organizations, meaning they have 
multiple companies where they, they, they have ownership or in, in and you know they're using the services of that company within it and it's just a flow of revenue uh, they talk about how long the dollar stays in the black and brown community and it isn't very long in part because we don't own a lot of the businesses or the things that we want to consume or purchase um, that can change if we're very intentional about it and I think in cannabis specifically we can be very very intentional um, we get to say like I said these legacy markets are not dying and the cannabis companies are a result spending way more and they're not seeing that revenue we actually have a lot of say as uh, cannabis consumers as to what companies we will support and right now I'm pushing uh, us supporting ones that are supporting us uh, do they have a MWBE uh, initiative or how are they doing their contracting and their hiring and their a diversity hiring plan I'm not necessarily saying we can only buy black or only buy from our community that is ideal but it isn't always uh, the, in our best interest either that's not always how we expand and grow but we can demand that um, bigger uh, companies participate in our cooperative economic efforts but it does start with us understanding that that's that's what's happening in the big world in the real world we have to do it more um, and we can't always go to the highest bidder when we are doing that sometimes we have to stand on the principles in order for it to be uh, 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 to, to work recognizing that our competitors or people who are doing it who don't care about whether or not there's diversity equity or you know any of that their one principle is money is the ruler the decisions go by whether it's making us money For that's sure. their one principle so their their hands aren't as tied as us as as us but we do have the ability to have both financial and revenue goals as well as integrity ones and 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 to allude to something that you said before um how our the money in our communities only stay like for one pass, uh, we don't retain the, the the money that we work so hard for. But if you go to the Jewish community, and especially in Brooklyn and Queens, that money yep. goes around eight times um, in the community before it gets out. Thirty so, days, 60, 60, 60, uh, sixty days, like long periods of time. Yeah. And and that's something that we need to start. Um, um, I always talk about it, like organizing. That's some of the things that I always tell the youth that I work with. That's some of the things that I tell the adults that I work with. Is that we need to start retaining the money that we that we work so hard for. Um, we need to start uh, um, spend, investing and in, and in, in spending money. In, in, in community-based organizations and, and businesses that, that has the best interest of heart for our communities, not for their pockets. So Absolutely. That's something it's that, hard, but you know what they have that we don't, um, which a lot of people uh, overlook, is a conviction behind the integrity in which they want to live, yeah. right? Whether we agree with it or not. If we don't have that conviction, then once the higher bidder comes in, we are then becoming crabs in a barrel. In my mind, it ain't rocket science what keeps us from doing that. Um, you know, when we talk about who are the black billionaire billionaires and so on and so forth to me i think these are accomplishments we should be proud of of course because we were enslaved and so how is that you know that's even that's triumphant but at the same time when you think about how much uh 
what a billion dollars can do when it's really utilized cooperatively it's just is like unreal and so we've got to i don't know we got to change again that level of conviction behind um the thought is it okay for us to have more millionaires or thousandaires that's why i took it down to like the mm-hmm. first hundred thousand in revenue that's a lot of money from the neighborhoods i'm from um that definitely can change just general lifestyle and improve um you know, living um, experiences. So to me, I feel we have to first start with the basics, but eventually it leads itself to being able to invite people who share that same conviction, um, coming to the table and fighting for the community's well-being as opposed to just your own. That's right. That's right. And and I know you from Brooklyn um, and I know you from the East Coast. So I want to ask you this question. I know that Cuomo... He vowed last week to legalize marijuana. They met the Connecticut. You know, I'm from, I'm living in Connecticut, but I'm from New York right now. So they met Brooklyn, um, Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. and um, Pennsylvania. I'm sorry. How do you, how do you see that um, playing out? Legalization across those Northeast states. Well, uh, no, I think that's a great question. I am very excited that they're at least talking. There were a couple of things that were red flags for me. The first is that uh, Governor Cuomo called a summit that did not have any real cannabis experts um, at the summit. And when politicians get together, to me, they're more likely talking about bro science than they are real science. There's a lot of um, (laughs) what I had heard was as opposed to this is what actually happens. I know that there were some people brought in from Colorado and some folks in from Cali, but that's another red flag for me because if you're paying attention at all to the industry, both Colorado and California are walking back on a lot of their initial legalization laws. Mm-hmm. They made a lot of mistakes. They're still making mistakes, and and, and the consumer is paying. Um, and then the third is this idea that we're going to try to make sure, and this is New York wanting to control it. It's kind of like the UN. We're going to try to make sure that this, these four markets are, uh, you know, working together, that is nothing but saying, you know, it's, it, it, it may be a monopoly once those laws do get flipped. So it is important for us to keep our foot on the gas around what it is we want. And that means we have to organize even more so across those same states to be saying the same thing across the board. Right now, Pennsylvania has the best law on the books in terms of what's been written out and proposed. However, the MRTA, which was proposed um, by Senator Kruger, as well as the majority leader crystal people stokes in new york has what we need to see as well and i love that they're both willing to make amendments my concern about the governor is often is uh you know he's a man and he really is a very uh focused on making sure he gets it done um and that might help him with the presidential election later down the line but that right now the things he's put in place or talked about has very little to do with uh allocating reinvestment funding to the communities that deserve it really it's a deserve because new york has arrested more people than the country the rest of the country around marijuana and it has been predominantly black and hispanic black and hispanic males so those communities that have been 
most devastated need, um, yes, to be handled right out the gate. He has no answer for this. Um, he wants to put it in a general fund, and that's why I didn't pass last year. So my hope is Pennsylvania will rub off on him. Um, Governor Murphy has some ideas around this in New Jersey. As you can tell, I'm heavily involved in paying attention and advocating all of these, but we'll have to be strategic. We have to put our foot on the neck of this idea that our communities can be dealt with after legalization. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work, sure. and um, and we need to make sure that we we don't get. That's like, I guess don't don't get so caught up in having to legalize adult use. New York needs to make their medical program way better. I mean, yeah. I was back in New York and I came to Cal- Connecticut to get a card because I knew <laughs> that the assortment was going to be better. Yeah. Um, they don't even have flour in New York. Nope. So how is uh, Cuomo going to talk about legalizing? They're going to be like Illinois, sold out of the good products in five days. And you know what? At Target, that would get you fired because that's sales you're not getting. Every yeah. day you're out of stock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And one of the things that you mentioned is that they sat down and they had the discussion with our community, like the people that needs to be on the table. It's like all these politicians always having discussion about women reproductive rights, right. and there's no women in the table talking about how we best serve our bodies. Yeah, about abortion. Like, don't <laughs> talk to me about about what your crazy thoughts are on abortion. And there's literally no one there who has any female reproductive organs at the. At, um, at, at that table, so yeah, it's 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 terrible, and it, it happens all the time. That they continue to have conversations around legalization, and it's all based upon their taboo, their stigma of. That's why they don't have flour in New York. Frankly, it's this taboo of a medicinal user is not going to use flour. That flour is for you know the urban youth, yeah. um, and it's it's completely for incorrect. the Bronx. Yeah. That's, that's good for the Bronx. It's totally incorrect. <laughs> It's a mess. They're not understanding, but that's also because they're not looking at the markets really with a, a good analytical eye. They, For example, I love the Arizona market because it's a really large medical marijuana um, market in terms of population, over 200,000 patients as compared to a mere 90,000 in uh, New York. Uh, now, New Jersey's up to 65,000, but they have a good market. It is very stratified in terms of what's the offering price point wise as well as the types of um, product you can get. You don't all only have to smoke joints. It's not just, you know, roll-ups. They have, a, you know, a good market. And, and we have a lot of results out of that market as to what's still being purchased thanks to BDS analytics and um, various POS data. Flour is still the majority. Now, yep. it doesn't mean that edibles isn't increasing and topicals isn't increasing. Yes, they have fast-growing rates. But at the end of the day, the flower or the plant is still what's best for you because it's the most natural, to be perfectly honest. And if you don't want to smoke it, you can actually decarb it, get yourself ardent, uh, decarb it, and then you can use it. You know, I, I, and, but it, to me, the body uh, takes in what it needs off of a plant. And then because it's a plant, it's able to extract it, what it doesn't need out of the body as well. That's the, always going to be the most natural and the best way to take it. For sure. I mean, I love, I, I'm, I always, people say, but you, you have a dispensary um, car. Why you don't get the oils out? Because I want the, I want to touch the flower. I want to like actually smell what, what the terpenes are. I want to make sure that um, I know who makes it. It's, it's crazy. Like I, I, I love um, the, the oils and the edibles, but there's nothing like the flower. <laughs> 
Absolutely. So, talking about uh, experiences, we're going to do a, a little segment called Just for Fun. Um, and so, I have some questions for you. So, what age uh, were you when you first smoked or when you first indulged? And um, how was your experience? Uh, yeah, so I was a goody two shoes ball player. I stayed away from it. I definitely was not here for even remotely smelling like weed. But um, 19, I had my first smoke experience with my boyfriend at the time. Um, he took me to Washington Square Park and we smoked out there. And of course, I was a hot mess on the train back to Brooklyn. I thought everybody knew I was high, and I thought that the cops was gonna, you know, flag me down and take me in. The level of paranoia. It was a really bad experience in that. I mean, the actual experience itself, smoking with him and learning, it was so cool. And, of course, he, you know, I was fascinated because he smoked all the time. <laughs> and what I realized it was part of it is because he was bipolar and that was his way of medicating and uh, maintaining. And um, But, yeah, I, I just was so new to it. I didn't get it. Um, but fast forward, I probably didn't smoke again. Like, it was like, okay, I experienced it. Great. I'm good. And then I didn't become a more of a consumer until I was in my 20s after I had my son. And it was, um, you know, more me experimenting and trying to find the right uh, balance between I don't know. I, I, I knew I didn't like blunts. I didn't really like the heavy smoke of it. I didn't like sharing either. I think it's automatically <laughs> in our community is meant to be supposed to a social event. And I thought, wow, it's you know, it's medicine to me. So it's like I don't pass my ibuprofen bottle when I take <laughs> one, sure. right? So there's a part of it that it allows me to now meditate and be more uh have those private moments um i'm a little bit of an introverted extrovert where i yes. work being <laughs> extroverted so those moments allows me to I don't, it doesn't matter whether i'm in a busy uh bus stop i i could be privately by myself because i've had the right strain on me to take a hit <laughs> so for sure no i shout out to the introverted extroverts that's yeah. totally that's totally me. And shout out to the people that started smoking late because I feel you. Like, I never smoked. Every time somebody smoked near me when I was young, girl, because I used to play basketball, I was like, don't come near me because I don't want to smell that. Like, you crazy. Yep. When I was 21, that's when I first had my first experience. And I came into this game late. But, you know, it is what it is. I've always been uh, somebody that's open to new things. So once I discovered marijuana, I was like, this was my parents were so scared of like are right. you serious <laughs> um and then do you have a favorite strand strand right strain, strain excuse me you see as, as <laughs> no, a non-smoker no. um do you have a favorite strain that you like that you that you love that you prefer to indulge in and i know that changes it can now it could be one thing you know a few years ago it could have been something different but what's for right now what are you just loving um, well, you know, when I, I'm working, so I love Durban Poison. I, okay. I shout Durban Poison out a lot. This is a super sativa with a lot of terpenolin, and um, it is very much a heady, focused high. If I had Durban Poison in high school, I mean, I was an A student, I would have been a beast. Like, I, I really, it's high productivity. It actually is an appetite suppressant, which is actually not what I want out of it, unfortunately. So I often will pair it with, um, I like making my own cannabis cocktails. I call okay. it where I will do three part Durban poison and like <laughs> one part of Girl Scout cookies or um, just so that I have a good balance. But Durban poison right now is my favorite. And when my mom passed, um, 
Lemon Haze was a must wake and bake. Mm. Like that is so lifting, uplifting, mm-hmm. and um, it was it was a necessity. It was very very important. I like could not go a good go a couple of days without Lemon Haze, um, especially in the morning. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm right now. I'm becoming a connoisseur because um, I have my dispensary card, so they have all these exotic names. Even though I can't find, they have this website called Dabbing Dad, where you can find the name that Cure Leaf gives it. You can find the street name on this Dabbing Dad um, website, which I think is cool that they do that. Um, but you know, I, I like the terpenes. I like the the you know the lemon leaf flavor, the blueberry flavor. Uh, um, terpenes. Um, that's that's one of my favorite things to smoke. Those those type of flavors. Um, it, you know, it gets me. There. I'm, I'm more of an indica. I don't do I don't do much sativa, but you know, I don't know. I, I just feel that this the indica gets me where I want to be <laughs> for the most part. It definitely is. Like everybody's body is so different. Absolutely. I'm always surprised to hear what people's are, um, what they like, prefer. But at the end of the day, what I found is, it, for me, it's less sativa indica, but more what is that terpene profile. Because yep, I yep. can do some indicas if they have the right terpene profile. I really do like myrcene. Um, that is one that is so important for like my inflammation in my body. And so mm-hmm. um, I often will try to find the hybrids that are probably more indica-leaning, and they have a lot more of the myrcene in it. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, Freedom, do you want to talk about what one of your favorite strains right now? I mean, right now it's, it's called Triplica. I, I really don't know the, the, the street name right now. I need to search it on the Dabbing Dad, but it's called Triplica. That's that's from Cure Leaf. I'm putting a shout-out to them, even though they don't have flour. In, in, they're starting to get flour in New York right now. Um, that's one of the few that's doing, like, little – it's not even flour. It's the pills. That has the flower in it, and people can't open it and smoke it. <laughs> That's what they do it. In, in That's purity. so interesting. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and what a waste of extra material. Uh, material. But you know what? This is what happens when you make laws on bro science. But yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then, um, last question: If you couldn't smoke with one famous person, who would it be, and what would you talk about? Oh my goodness. Ooh, like Michelle Obama, huh? and I, you know, I think I had to say one couple, couple reasons. One because at, at, at MJ BizCon, I was being called the Michelle Obama of cannabis, and I, I appreciate that. We both are from the hoods. You know, she's from the hood in Chicago, yeah. I'm from Brooklyn. We both went, went to, to Princeton. Princeton. Yeah. Um, and I really do think that she brought cool back to the uh, the role of uh, first lady. I've never, you know, seen a first lady dance on stage and, you know, do some of the things that she's done. At the same time, she's extremely intelligent. Mm-hmm. So I just like that she's so real, um, even in a persona type, you know. So I, I think that if we were able to hang out and consume together, we'd be able to have a great conversation that would be very sister to sister, but um, also extremely high level because I think, like I said, she's super smart um, and, uh yeah, I think I, I don't know if I want to see us on Durban poison, but we can <laughs> take the world on Durban poison. Yeah, um, yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, I, and you know she's as vulgar because you know you know Obama smoked, so you know that yo, she he was a crazy weed head, yo. Crazy weed head. Listen, I I I'm not trying to out uh, our forever first lady, but I just know that I wouldn't be surprised that uh, she, they would be proponents. So that I would put that out to the universe. That is always an open. It could be 20,000 years from now. I, I would take that on for sure. Absolutely. For I, I mean, talking about her being brilliant, like in all this time, she also just she just got her doctor degree. So it's like, yes. damn, yeah. yo, right, so, right when you can't be any better, you become yeah. like elevated to the next level. It's like, yeah. awesome. And and the baby's super excited about yeah, that Yeah, the baby's super yeah. excited. <laughs> baby Seven, that's his nickname uh, on the show. Uh, that's my favorite name. We had, a, we had a fight over it because I don't know if you watch Seinfeld. But yeah. that was like from Seinfeld. That was like one of the funniest episodes. And they was trying to name some kids seven. And there was a whole ordeal in the show. And, and since that, since I watched that episode, I want to name one of my kids seven. And she was not having it. So and, and, and it was my fault because after the baby was born, it was we were so exhausted that I filled out the paperwork and I even forgot to fill it in. Because I should have just done that without even telling her. <laughs> Terrible. So, um, so to wrap up, um, what advice would you give our our <laughs> listeners if they want to get into the industry? Besides getting your book, of course. But what what advice would you give them if they want to get into the industry? Um, I think the biggest advice is uh, to be prepared to or open for a mindset shift. The um, What you think you're getting into is uh, probably not the case, and um, you need to be open to shift that mindset because we've been really well conditioned and trained to think a certain way about cannabis, mm -hmm. and that is all not really true. There's very, very few of that, very few things that I've found that is actually um, truth in what we've learned. So it's a mindset shift. Um, that means even um, in the way you consume. So what I found, there are some people who come in the industry and they may project their professional self and then when we get to a sesh, it's like they're on some old ratchetness. No, we can still, you know, and I don't mean ratchetness, meaning that, that, that they're themselves acting ghetto, but there's certain like uh, discomforts that I have with people, for example, roll up stuff and they're like, they don't know what they're smoking. You, you know, you pass and you're like, oh, what is this? Some people think it's crazy that I'll ask what is it before I even put it to my lips. But let me ask you, when's the last time you've gotten a drink and somebody passed you a drink, whatever it looked like, and you just take a sip and Thank not you. know what the hell you're drinking? <laughs> That's just not real. So it's, it's just a mindset shift. So even though you may be professional and you may be bringing all that, know that even in the community when we sesh, we've got to shift our mindset there as well. And it will, you know, it probably will illuminate new business ideas is the more you do that too um so that's like i guess the biggest advice and yes get my book of course <laughs> <laughs> for sure for sure thank you so much Shashita. we really really appreciate your time if and our listeners can uh want to find you uh what's your e uh, email address if you feel comfortable social media how can they get a hold of you directly well, that is a great question. I am the Weedhead, and so you can find me and the company, the Weedhead 
weedhub.com is our website and our best email address is info at theweedhead.com and on social media you can find me as the cannabis CEO um, that's on Instagram and Twitter and every week I am a co-host on a weekly podcast called She Blaze with my sister Ice and we handle all of cannabis culture news and um, business um, obviously from a woman's point of view um, elevating the industry a lot of what we talked about here but with all the sass and tea because she is a phenomenal journalist you find all the dirt um (laughs) bring to the team but that's every saturday at 11 a.m eastern um you can find us on uh facebook as uh, backslash she blaze and so yeah those are all of our outlets all right that sounds great well this has been a great conversation thank you so much for stopping by and taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat with us and give this information that is needed for for our listeners and for the communities that have been negatively impacted by the war on drugs. And I know, Jashita, you're also starting your book tour soon as well, so thank you for for penciling us in before your book tour and your crazy schedule starts. Yeah, no no problem. We'll be up that way, and I will hit you guys up when we're in Connecticut because we are looking to bring our tour to the Connecticut area. So um, more to come. I'll make sure your, your listeners and audience know when we are in the area. Um, can you also like tell us what where are you going to be? Like if people want to find you on your tour dates, I don't know if you have that um, available, but if you can, like give them something. Yeah, sure. So we are in Atlanta on this Saturday, January 18th, and then headed to DMV for February 7th. We'll be in Laurel, Maryland. Um, and right now, uh, we are also scheduled to be at NECAN um, in Boston on March, I want to say, 20th. Uh, we are pulling together the calendar as quickly as we can, um, but we basically release it three dates at a time um, in order for us to keep a little bit of the mystery, but yeah. behind closed doors we're also just making sure that the dates are firm before we put them out I don't want to disappoint anyone by saying I'm coming somewhere and they're not but cities that we're locking in Chicago, Buffalo uh, Hartford uh, and New Haven, Connecticut um, we're going to do multiple times in New York Newark, um, back out in Vegas, Oakland, um, Detroit and uh, we've been asked to come out to St. Louis, we'll be in uh, a couple cities in Florida, the total tour is 15 plus cities so a minimum of 15 with a couple of international stops. I'm trying to get to Colombia. I'm trying to get to uh, Ghana and uh, Jamaica this year as well. Okay, great. Thank you. All right. Are you enjoying this podcast? If you haven't done so already, read us. Your voice matters and gets us in front of new listeners every single day. Have a great weekend. Peace. Your activism attacking the system. The blacks and Latins in prison. Numbers in prison. They victim black in the vision. Shit and all they got is rapping to listen to. I let them know we missing you. The love is unconditional. Even when the condition is critical. When the living is miserable. Your position is pivotal. What ain't bullshitting you now. Why would I lie just to get by? Just to get by.